Welcome to Holeback Rack Podcast. My name is Jessica Hare. I operate Hare Hollow Farm, and we breed boas, balls, and select colubrids. Hi, I'm Jenna King. I operate ASM Royal Tails, and I breed high-end ball pythons. We want to share our journey navigating herpetoculture and are dedicated to promoting biohazard safety for all species. And we would love you to answer the question, what's in your holdback rack? I'll try to keep the impolite conversation to a bare minimum, 50% of my normal amount. I was going to say that's not fun. All right. Welcome to episode 24, 24, 24, Jana. I need help. Help me. God save no, the queen. I haven't slept today. God we, I, save the queen. I mainlined Bridgerton yesterday, and <laughs> there was a lot of titties, but not a lot of D, and I was a little upset. And now here we are with our guest, Joe Phelan. Joe, how are you doing today? It's a really interesting intro. I started the last <laughs> it's one. It's always interesting. <laughs> like I said, you never know what's going to happen. But I'm doing great. How are you guys? Awesome. I'm so Very happy awesome. to have you on. It's fun. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, you were the first podcast that she told me to listen to when she was courting me trying to be her podcast wife. Mm-hmm. I apologize. <laughs> no, I... no, it's okay. I was like, oh, I could probably do that. That's fine. Yeah, <laughs> it was. it's so bad that you're like, yeah, I could do that. It makes everyone think that, you know, they can have their own podcast. Well, I, I've never listened to podcasts before. Like, that wasn't a thing that I did. And she's always like, oh, because we hang out. I mean, we live two hours apart. So we'd see each other every couple of months. And then we'd chat reptiles like you do whenever you're with another reptile person. And she's like, I, we gotta, people would like to hear our conversations. They're pretty, they're pretty fucking awesome. We're cool. I know. And four I hours like, in, oh. you're like, we've been talking shop for four yeah. fucking hours. Might as well hit record. It would have been good. Good content. Yeah. It's a good thing you live on a farm. Otherwise, my kids would probably have trashed your place. I have three kids. <laughs> it's fine. It's already trash. It's fine. I think From the Ground Up was like one of the best examples of like the two dudes talking format, which is it wasn't two dudes, but that was what it felt like to me. And I actually love that format the best of all formats for podcasts. Not even I, I don't know how you feel about it now. And we'll get into like podcast retrospective type talk but i loved it i love every minute i even go back and re-listen to the old ones that you don't think that you like i think they're funny they're like there's a level of authenticity there that you don't necessarily see in a interview style episode yeah so thank you for all your hard work i know it was a lot of work i'm sure you cold emailed so many fucking people like please god come on (laughs) lots of yeah instagram dms really but I think the the thing that we were trying to do is there are a lot of two guys talking podcasts, right? And a lot of it That's is really kind great. of very catered towards the hobby, specifically in particular. And it's pretty much always another male on the east side, on the other end of it and stuff like that. So we tried to have as many guests of different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that my co-host was female and we had it's funny because dominique defalco who obviously has um a pretty much exclusively women podcast now uh, she went back to see how many female guests and how many guests of different backgrounds were on each podcast and she's like oh all these podcasts pretty much have none besides yours which is still unproportionately 
white males. Right. Um, right. Absolutely. So I think we really tried to make it a point to to get a bunch of different people on, as well as people who may be biologists and stuff like that, instead of just uh, your regular guy keeping in his basement and in drawers and stuff like that. We so like hopefully. To call those- the dude bros. <laughs> the ball well, python I, dude bros. <laughs> yeah, for ball pythons, it's it's a very specific person, I feel, who, who does it. And that's not terrible, but there's also a lot more people out there that want to listen to podcasts. And so hopefully we kind of went into the Excedra kind of category where it could be a bunch of different things and a bunch of different people. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm glad... I'm glad to see more people doing different podcasts because I think by the end of it, I was like, I'm not going to, I don't feel like I've already done this for like four or five years, however long it was. I felt like it was just going through the motions and I just want something new, someone else to do, you know, to push the ball forward. You know, I felt like I went as far as I could with it. You got all the value out of it and put in the value that you had to give to it. Yeah, and then it's just repeating yeah, after that. And for sure. Yeah, I'd rather you guys do it, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you might have peaked with Mark O'Shea in a lot of ways. Like, 100%, you did it. Actually. And that, that whole year was like a, a banger year. You got a lot of diverse conservationists. And you got Nate Shepard, which was like the guy in the year before me in university. And a bunch of other people that I knew, herpetologists from like the wild conservation side. So you did great. I, I don't think there's anything, there's no regrets, I think. I li- And I go back and listen to stuff all the time. I love it. Figure yeah, and it, it was very much, uh, you know, a couple of young people trying to figure it out and figure out our voice. And definitely some of the the earlier ones are more testy and more interesting. And, uh, yeah. I, I don't know how you, I have a question way later, but I'll ignore the question. Uh-oh. Or we can ask it now. But we like, need to get warmed up for it. I actually liked the... Uh, the bickering, uh, to me. I don't know how you feel about it. I loved it. I loved it. No comment. <laughs> okay. No comment. Yeah, you got got to warm him up to that one. Okay. All right. Let's get into it, Joe. Tell me all about Vert, your new venture. Yeah. So after Port City Pet, um, I had essentially, and I, and I probably haven't told much of my story outside of just essentially disappearing because that just seemed convenient at the time. But what was going on is that I had a day job in which I was working in the fitness industry doing e-commerce for a fitness equipment retailer. And the pandemic really kind of moved the business forward and I needed to put a lot more time into it. And I had felt that there was more of an opportunity to work in e-commerce and particularly at this business and kind of move forward in my career um, than to continue to kind of kill myself on the reptile thing, which uh, I had really devoted, you know, a good eight years of my life to, to doing that. And it was really great. But at the same time, I just felt like uh, what was kind of the low hanging fruit of what made me happy and it, the reptile stuff just wasn't making me happy anymore. Not that it's more, I mean, it's really everything. Um, I don't think I need to qualify that too much to people who have a lot of reptiles. Yeah, you can totally, <laughs> the burnout is real. It's taking a break. I can completely understand. Yeah, so from working like 12-hour days in my day job 
and trying to ship animals and do that whenever I could, it was just becoming so hard. And honestly, the day job part was easiest and was making me more money. That's just kind of, it came down to at one point, like what makes more sense for my life? Um, I think sometimes you get into it and you start putting the animals before yourself and you kind Mm -hmm. of get used to that. You get used to that year after year until it's like, yeah, you almost have no time for yourself or any time for just balance and kind of treating yourself well in a lot of different ways. So I felt like I was at that turning point. So did that. And then I moved on um, from that position probably about eight months ago and was director of e-commerce for a direct-to-consumer fitness brand here in Austin. And yeah, so I moved from Philly to Austin to to take that job. And then when I was there, it's like, you know, I was like, yeah, I never want to do a business again. That was awful. And then give it like a year, year and a half. And then you're like, all right, I'm kind of bored. This is kind of what I'd like to do. And after the the bad taste in my mouth from the first one kind of wore off, it's like, you know, what do I do going forward? I think this is just something that I'll naturally do all the time, regardless of, you know, whether I have a day job or whether I'm stable or secure financially, it's not a play to make more money. It's almost my natural inclination to start businesses or sell things online and do things like that. It doesn't have to be reptiles. Um, So right now I still have a bunch of reptiles, by the way. I just don't do it in any type of business context or anything like that. So I decided to stay in the pet industry, something I knew. Um, I do have a dog. Her name is Dixie. She's about 11 years old. She's been my sophomore year of college is actually when I adopted her. So for a class, we needed to volunteer somewhere. And I picked to volunteer at the animal shelter. And then so that's when I got Dixie. So that was uh, almost 11 years ago. And she has moved from, you know, got her in Alabama, then we moved to New York, then Colorado, then Texas, then Philly, then back to Texas. So she's kind of been there the whole time during this whole thing. And yeah, I just, I thought, hey, A, I love my dog. B, it's a giant market compared to snakes, if we're just thinking business-wise. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's like, I felt like I I put in a lot of effort in this niche of reptiles for an industry that really hates people trying to make money and things like that. People don't want you to be that successful. Right. And if you're that successful, then they start to hate you. And I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, why would I put my whole life into this? Sorry, I I don't mean to be discouraging about the reptile thing. No, you're doing great. If If you love it that much... Like, people say Brian Barczyk doesn't love his animals, right? In order to devote 30 years of your life and get shit on every single day, he has to love something. (laughs) Right. Or you don't have any feelings. And I have a feeling that he has many feelings. So, yeah. So, I think that's something that you need to kind of, you need to be next level committed to in order to do it. And whatever that is. I didn't have it in in the reptile sense. I didn't want arrows slugging me every day. And every time I got more success, more arrows come. I wanted to be in a place where I could have a business and be on the back end. And people don't necessarily know that it's me who runs the business, that kind of thing. Like, uh, Like any other brand, you know, whatever brand you 
you bought off the internet most recently. You bought a Yeti cooler. You don't know who the guy is. Right. He doesn't He's get just... shit on because his coolers aren't good enough. Right. Or he doesn't treat his coolers properly. Or, <laughs> or you don't like from... the way he set up his enclosure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's just there's so many things. And then every once in a while I get off and I, I take a video of, of my iguana or I take a video of my Lacerda. And then someone shits on me. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, this is why I don't do this. <laughs> That's... Thank you for that. So now I know why, because you're telling me how to take care of my animal. Right. And I just showed up for like a second here. And imagine, you know, I used to post every day. That just kind of adds up. And so I feel like I'm I'm kind of going on tangents here. No, it's okay. But... This is exactly <laughs> what I wanted to get to, because I, right. I could yeah. sense this in your like LED Queens interview with Cesar, that like you were just tired of like the incremental thousand cuts of I'm going to neg your confidence forever. So I always like wondered like if you had stopped the podcast sooner, you know, at maybe after that sort of Marco Shea, like the big year and just been like, I'm going to pretend to be Don Soderbergh. I'm going to have my own Facebook group where I curate my own posts and it's my rules and I'm Don and I don't give a fuck. And then like you sort of control your exposure to your own market would that have changed anything? Or do you still think people would be like, fuck you? Which they probably would have. But like, think... the, the exposure like brings good and ill a lot. Yeah, I think that he grew his business at a time in which is, it was conducive to have low touch. Right. And then by the time our business slash society as a whole became high touch, he had a big enough name to create his own community right. of people. For me, I was still trying to convert the general audience and to kind of get my name and reputation out there that I'm someone to trust. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you go on Don's page and there's probably a post about a certain lineage of animals in which he's trying to defend the, you know, where it originated yeah. or what genetics are made up. He still has that that kind of inter-community drama of shit that really doesn't matter. Yeah. That people believe Fuck matters. God, nobody cares. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't get into the drama like, at all. I'm just like, I do. Drama, I, what? I did a little bit. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sometimes I can't help it. Yeah, Sorry. I like to I, need to, I need to defend myself or... You know, the person who says I'm not taking care of my animal, I need to, like, look into science and how I can prove the fact that I'm doing the right thing. Like, I can't just let it go. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And it sort of, like, starts to demoralize you in a way because we're all, like, as stupid monkeys with monkey brains. You're, like, one or two negative comments outweighs 4,000 positive ones and you just can't get over it. I know. I, I agree 100%. It's maybe we're idiots for having a podcast channel. We should leave well i think that if you stay on audio and stuff like that there's actually you know the podcast probably was the most positive thing that i had and like it is that kind of inner community in which people who listen to the podcast would dm me on instagram but they would never be like remember what you said in this part of the podcast they would actually never do that i feel like and I, maybe you agree but like to me the podcast is not like a high growth format but it's a high like fidelity like the people who decide to like you like learn to like you a lot because they have spent two hours with you every week or whatever and so they're much more loyal 1,000 people than like the 50,000 randos that like 
dip into your YouTube video or I'm like, fuck this guy. So, so I like podcasts as far as like protecting yourself from too much unnecessary exposure to people who won't buy these things from you anyway. I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing wildly here. <laughs> yeah, for the podcast, it would be like, oh, this is so-and-so. I know him, first name, last name, her first name, last name. They DM me on Instagram. But my whole like brain space is occupied by like Jenny Pants 93 yeah. who commented on one picture a week ago. <laughs> and uh, I can't I can't make my brain be like, "Oh, that's like a low quality relationship and I have all these high quality relationships right. that that are positive." But yeah, I don't know. It's uh I mean, I do have a lot of great relationships through reptiles and stuff like that and people that I obviously still talk to. And, you know, most of that stems from the podcast. And I do believe it is it is a format that lends itself to, I mean, I'm introverted. And it sounds stupid for someone who talks a lot into a microphone and things like that no, or had a podcast. <laughs> but, but, like, talking to people will drain me a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but the podcast is so low touch as far as there's not 100 people commenting right now right. Or, or things like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. So I get to have my spurt for two hours and then I get to rest and come back mm -hmm. next week. Uh, so that's really, so I think it does work for someone who may be introverted and more kind of into that low touch type of situation. But I got off the tangent of the company. So go, yeah, I was just going to redirect. Rewind, <laughs> rewind to that, <laughs> rewind yeah. to that dog part. Uh, so I decided I wanted to be, in a larger industry, but within the pet industry, something that I kind of understand, as well as e-commerce, because e-commerce is kind of where I operate in a professional sense. And honestly, since Port City Pet, I feel like I've gotten much better at, say, developing, designing, and creating e-commerce websites, funnels, marketing, all that stuff. So I wanted to kind of flex a little bit, some more skills like that, and kind of give it another go. So... I really wanted to create a product that aligned with kind of my ideas that I had in Port City Pet, which were always, how do I do a business that I feel good about, doesn't kill the environment, doesn't harm, say, in reptiles. You know, I always wanted to breed my own stuff. I didn't really want to import. I wanted to make sure they're going to good homes, things like that. So how do I take those ideas and kind of put them into a, a different pet product? And then I realized that every single, pretty much every single leash on the market is made out of synthetic fibers. Mm -hmm. So it's yep. some type of like polyester, nylon, things like that. And then I realized that not only do those synthetic fibers not biodegrade, but they also contribute to plastic pollution in the water supply. So basically, every time you wash, even say if you have a shirt that's made of uh, synthetic fibers you essentially put microplastics into the environment every single time you wash it. It's so or when cool. you throw it out, it's pretty much there. So yeah, we just did a study where there's like microplastic in our blood. Okay, if you like drink out terrifying. of like plastic, if you drink out of plastic containers that they just did a study, I'll have to find it. No, I saw I it. it I mean, oh, you saw it. even okay. like Inuits that are living on an ice floe somewhere have enough like decomposed etrogenic compounds from plastics deteriorating and then being like upfed into like seal blubber that we're all doomed. It's good job, Joe. Thank you for helping. <laughs> we're 
fuck. Imagine how that, you know, this has only been, what, uh, 50 years of this? Oh, I mean, how long God. have we been using? Probably not that, that long in the comparison of human you know, the whole scope right. of human history and earth. We're doing um, a real good job fucking it up. <laughs> so since the Industrial Revolution, we've really, you know, the last hundred years, we've really done a number. But anyway, uh, so, so this is a collar that's made of all natural fibers. So it's the outside is like a, is a bamboo canvas in which bamboo uh, produces actually 35% more oxygen than a tree um, of equivalent mass, as well as absorbs as much as 12 tons of carbon dioxide per hectare per year. So it replenishes oxygen and takes, you know, carbon out of the atmosphere, as well as it doesn't really affect the soil that much because first of all, you plant it once and then you basically cut it off at the root and then let it grow again. So it's kind of a sustaining year after year growth. And then also it doesn't really need much nutrients from the soil. And the, the complex root systems actually keep the soil together and stop things like landslide, stuff like that. So bamboo, very efficient and just a really interesting resource as far as if we can make it more effective um, as a fiber or using it as clothing. So that's going to be like the harder outside of each leash and each collar. And then the inside's cotton. So basically, if it was all bamboo, it wouldn't be as pliable and it wouldn't be as comfortable for the animals. So... Uh, the backing is cotton, and obviously, I mean, we know cotton, it takes a good amount of water, stuff like that, but it's also biodegradable, so after less than a year, I mean, it will be 95% degraded. That's in comparison to 4%, you know, degradation of polyester fibers and things like that, and then those that are degraded... Our grandkids are, I mean, can dig up those dog collars and still still be able to use them. <laughs> Not yours, the the ones on the market right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they'll be shedding plastics whenever they do degrade to whatever degree. So, uh, so yeah. And then uh, the one thing I couldn't really get across or or ahead of was the buckle. So most most collars do have plastic buckles, um, and there are some plastic alternatives that may be interesting to kind of think of going forward. Are they probably durable enough? to be a, in a dog collar right now and sustainable from uh, a price point? Uh, probably not. But so I just went with all metal buckles. So I just, That's I cool. can't. You don't it's premium. premium. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, hey, if it's not going to be biodegradable, I really wanted a leash that was 100% biodegradable. But if I can't make it biodegradable, then at least make it super durable. So. Yeah. Um, all metal accessories with like the loop fastener as well as the buckle stuff like that. Vert Pet is going to be pet accessories that are mindful to the environment and starting off with collars and leashes and hopefully expanding into other things that are, you know, natural and not harmful to the environment. All right. I have a question, but you can decline the question because it's it's a secret potentially. How did you source your manufacturer and get them to approve your designs or if you don't want to talk about that, cause sometimes that is a secret. You don't have to. Um, so there's a lot of different ways to find manufacturers in China. It's super easy. Um, so obviously bamboo, the majority of it's going to be grown in China. The majority of anything that we buy and sell is going to be made in China. Right. You know, there's not anyone making these fibers in the United States. So, 
So yeah, if, if you want to mention the fact that obviously it's going to take fuel and stuff to get this over from China, obviously I'm a drop in that giant bucket. Yeah, no, uh, I'm not doing that to somewhere. accuse you, but a lot of people are yeah, like, no, but but it's definitely from China. And how do I get the suppliers the way everyone else gets it Alibaba? So so you go to Alibaba yeah, or okay. you go to there's basically more if you just yeah. put in like manufacturers China, you can find you can find it. But I mean that's why it's not. It's not a secret, obviously. It's very easy to do. It's finding a good manufacturer. Yes. And How many pieces did the they make of... you... Sorry to interrupt. Did they make you... Force you to do... To, to make it worth it for them. I don't know if you want to share that either. I know this is Let's trade see. secrets. You can... Round. No, no. Um... Some people, it is trade secrets. Like they go to the like the garment district yeah, in LA, I and it's like, say this. <laughs> okay, I can cut it out. Sorry, you can just tell me. No, 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 no. You're good. So each manufacturer has a different MOQ, right? So that's uh, minimum order quantity, and I think this is probably around 500. Um, okay, that's pretty I, pretty good. That's not bad at all. I was thinking so, you had so to buy, I would say you know, fifty thousand. Yes, li- like literally fifty thousand units. I'm like, where is he storing it? Well, yeah, so that, that depends on what kind of product you're doing right. as well as their capacity. So a smaller factory is willing to basically do smaller MOQs and okay. do customizations, things like that. So basically, if you wanted to start something like this, like say you want to make a product um, and you get it manufactured in China, you want to start with probably between five and $10,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you want more for operational expenses, things like that. And if you no, can't do product, right? Yeah, product. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's there's plenty of other expenses. Maybe instead of buying a three morph recessive ball python, <laughs> you can start a business that <laughs> pays you back over and over and over again. But hey, the best oppor- opportunities is in a living, breathing animal that has all these different factors in which can make you fail, right? So. Right. So you're full of disease, that. also just full, <laughs> just, just brimming to the top with disease. Heal over, no warning, anytime. Or not read at all. <laughs> you have insurance on those things, right? Yikes! No, oh. no, they don't uh, let you have insurance on those. And things. then, and then they light your house on fire. Oh, they're the built in with fire starting devices. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I could, I could go on like. No, please do. Uh, there's so many. There's so many people who want to do this as a business. Why don't you think about like starting an actual business, right? Instead of kind of investing into uh, maybe a pyramid scheme. It is uh, a totally a pyramid scheme. We have a whole episode where we talk about it. If you don't recognize that it's a pyramid scheme, maybe you should leave. <laughs> yeah, and and listen, if you if you can invest to the top of that pyramid, you can also be successful though. So Absolutely. I don't want to say that it's something that can't make you money. And you can't be successful at because that's just not true. You can do both of those things. But are there better, easier ways to make money? In my opinion, there are. But then again, I guess, is it easy for me to say like, well, the people who are selling it are the people who want to sell to you that it's easy money and that you're going to love it. This is the greatest thing I've ever done. I love every time I open (laughs) every single thing. There's something slightly predatory about every... Reptile podcast, including this one. (laughs) Fuck it. Where you're just like, oh, yeah, I love it. Buy all the snakes. It's so great. Fuck. 
No, it's okay. But I, I mean, to push back, like direct to consumer sales has had like a rocky history on, you know, the internet because the Google is a fucking fickle bitch. She could give you SEO for a while, and no matter what you throw at her, she might be like, "Fuck you, I don't want to," or whatever. Oh. Are you using going to use SEO to like optimize that, or are you gonna like? I have like brick and mortar questions, but we can just go, go over that here. Like, do you know dog shows and pet shows to like get word of mouth to tie into SEO? So you get local sales too, or yeah. So there's a lot of different ways to get sales, whether it be on the internet, whether it be wherever wherever you may sell your product. So basically, my marketing mix will be uh, capturing emails. So. Email for me, so in the businesses that I've been in, um, first of all, we've attracted about 5,000 people a day with just organic SEO. And we've done, you know, probably $20,000 a week with email marketing. We've done $20,000 a week with affiliate marketing. There's all these different ways. And quite frankly, you need to do the most of them that you can with competency. So, so yeah, I'm going to try to play the SEO game, but will it be difficult because I can't really, I don't really have the funds to hire a blog writer who's going to be mindful of all my keywords, as well as I may not be able to find other people with prominent blogs and guest blog and get backlinks. And this is going to get into the weeds in case anyone wants to know more about this stuff. There's probably better resources uh, SEO wise. So it's all of the things. So SEO, but when I get people to my website, is my website designed well? Is the UI UX usable just in general? Are people getting to the cart? Are there things that are stopping people from buying from me, whether it be I don't look professional or there's something at checkout that's basically getting in their way? All the general best practices for having a website. And then... Text messages, SMS marketing has been huge for, for me as well. Um, so this is between in my professional life, not just necessarily right. for my for my personal businesses. So well, that's what I've, you're drawing from is your professional experience. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, obviously, social has been huge for me, too. That's been more so in my in my personal business than has been, say, in my professional. So. I would say that there's a lot of different ways to get people to you. There's a lot of different ways, even paid marketing. I mean, I'm running paid ads for one of my businesses right now. And uh, guess what? That works too. And quite frankly, all of these things work a lot better, not in reptiles. Um, <laughs> all my other, all other businesses that I've worked in, it is easier to acquire and convert a customer than it is in reptiles. Yeah, it's like they add to cart and check out and have a good day. Yeah, um, they don't ask you when the last time the snake shit was. <laughs> when I need it a shed video of them. The weight of the glass. <laughs> Yeah. With yeah, and the one. thing is that the same guys who were telling you the you know I love this, this is the best thing I've ever done in my life. They're like you know best practice for buying a snake. You know, find out when it last shed, find out what it weighs now, find out what it eats, and yeah, that's all great. But fuck, is that a pain in the ass if you're trying to sell a snake? And uh, you're not supposed to talk about that. You're supposed to say oh, do it with a smile on your face, which 
Sure, you can do that. But also, uh, there's a lot of other things you can sell for $500 that don't have that attached to it. Yeah, if you I don't think... answer those questions right, then you're treated like scum. Yeah. So, like, I'm yeah. surprised how many like bright, coherent adults get into the reptile industry and their business savviness would have taken them actually much further, literally doing anything. They could sell donuts and they'd probably do much better because they're keeping books and dealing with like the worst customers of all times. And, and it's just the passion that keeps people in, I think, you know, the desire to make it work. Yeah, when I first got into the fitness industry, I was like, oh, my God, we don't try to do anything for these customers. Shit, <laughs> and they we just like show up. Those sometimes. <laughs> and they just keep on coming, and they're rich as fuck, and they buy a $3,000 treadmill? Like, holy yeah. shit. I thought you needed to wait three years and 2,000 grams to get this kind of right. money. But it turns out, holy shit, you can just <laughs> buy and resell things. Uh, so, yeah, if you like business, and not all reptile people like business. Yeah, that's true. For sure. And guess what? I mean, that person's probably going to fail at a reptile business too. So, but if you're if you're good at business, I think there's just better things to do. And uh, I like doing business, and I like reptiles. I don't like doing reptile business. Reptile business. <laughs> yeah. Reptile emails and response. Yeah, that's that makes me crazy. Why did you pick? I know dogs are more common, but you're like competing with dog products. Why didn't you pick a reptile product as like your hard line product first? instead of a dog product or you just wanted to like retransition yourself to you know more common pet products first i wanted to not have a business tied to, to reptiles tied to my uh, okay. myself All right. or i didn't want to be personally involved as much um i believe if i just did something else in reptiles it would still come off as Joe's business. Joe's doing something. Joe's reptile yeah. business. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you see that with like Ryan McVeigh's business now, right? Yeah. He's made a name for himself, which is great. So now you have Ryan McVeigh's business and people yeah. kind of know it as that just as much as the, the regular um, business name. So if I built a business in reptiles, it would be much harder to exit. Say if I was successful in it, to have Central Pet and Garden buy me, which is what right. happened to Zilla, I believe. And it would be a lot harder based on the fact that it's inextricably tied to my personal, my right. name and and everything like that. So it's like if I leave, the marketing machine kind of goes down and it's basically worth less. So, so yeah, I mean, that's part of it. Just business. Mm-hmm. Sounds lame. Well, I think I can't remember his name right now, but the guy who had uh, Pro Exotics and his red line tools i'm not even sure his business name is redline equipment yeah. or whatever he's sort of more detached from his product line even though he's doing stuff to promote it because he's like you know he does the reptile report and other things so it's probably possible but you were so like intrinsically tied to port city pet and from the ground up that i could definitely see like wanting to put the separation there so you could like hire people to do everything yeah. and still have a functional business even if you didn't want to be there for a week or whatever yeah. You, you... Yeah. So, I mean, Robin does a great job with that. That's yeah, Robin. Robin. Mark Sorry. He does that. Yeah. And, um, and I mean, he was with Pro Exotics with Chad, Ship Your Reptiles, um, that stuff. And what he is, is he is business savvy, internet savvy. And then, therefore, he doesn't have to play the he reptile. He also doesn't have any game. reptiles. So, like, he just, <laughs> it's like, because it's the fire, back to fire. 
you know, he, <laughs> has hurt his feelings so long ago. He still loves it, but he doesn't want to sort of commit to a bunch of expensive living things that are flammable. And I wonder how much of that is part of being a little nervous to reinvent yourself and start over in a whole new industry. Yeah. And yeah. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I will do it. Uh, so, so that's what I'm, I'm just trying to have a fresh start in a lot of different ways. And I think that I can translate business to a bunch of different industries and take my point of view from what I learned from maybe when I was younger and I did, I had skating companies, things like that, yeah. that were kind of revolved around that or reptiles, things that I love like that. And, uh, I don't know if you can hear my rhino agana. She's it's okay. I love, I love it. I keep going. <laughs> yeah. And so I can translate it to a bunch of different industries and I'm not afraid to just try things and fail. And so I'm, I'm also doing right now a gym business, a gym assembly business. So basically I go uh, to someone's house, I'll, assem I'll assemble their gym equipment, stuff like that. So I learned that you can actually do a service business and start making money. I started it yesterday. And oh. I'll, I'll make $700 this week just based on jobs that I booked from today and yesterday. So, and, and I have experience in that industry. Did um, you do it on like Angie's list or did you have your own sort of oh, SEO funnel to like your website and your booking? From so you there? can go to gymassembly.com. So first of all, got a good ass domain. All right, go. Made a website that looks like it could be a franchise or looks like people can trust. Right. Um, a lot of my clients website wise, they may do services or they may have a retail business and they're like, make me look mom and pop, all this other shit. But people want to trust you these days as far as they don't want Joe Schmo. They want basically a larger company that they can depend on right. and they know that they can trust. Um, so I use Thumbtack. I use Angie List. So I did some general marketing, general paid basically leads and stuff like that through there. But I also did Google ads, um, which haven't really turned over yet. So that should be interesting when that happens. And I just, in, in two days, like I said, about $700 and I'll have a guy working with me tomorrow. So I can, I can basically hire labor from the very beginning and start outsourcing and start scaling. As 1099s employees? Like oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So initially it will be that. And then hopefully, because I have zero infrastructure to support yeah. having an actual employee. It's literally been two days. Yeah. We'll get to there eventually. I'm not sure what I want to do. I was like... Because you can't have a 1099 if it's an essential part of your business. Right. So I don't know how how Uber and how Postmates get away with it. So I used to work for Postmates. I used to do data entry. And then I, I used to be a courier, too, when I first started Port City Pet. And I got money in a settlement to where someone sued them for being a 1099 when they should be an employee because it's an essential business function. Right. Um, I don't think they changed what they're doing because they they just settled, right? So they just paid that guy to shut right. the fuck up. And then well, they, they paid off a day. couple of, uh, you know, well, Congress people <laughs> also. And they're like, don't worry about yeah. this. Yeah, so it's like I would love to make gymassembly.com if I can get 1099s all around the country and I just give them jobs. Oh, he's franchising then... everybody. Call him up now to get your franchise, franchise. opportunity. <laughs> but, but I don't 
I don't have the money to settle with someone if they yeah. don't like what I'm doing. I don't want. It just well, it would be a 10.99 if you didn't tell them when they had to make the appointment and show up. If you're like, here's your contact, here's the person. You call them and you decide when you're doing it, and you don't control how they sort of do their job or how much time it takes. And you're like, I get 20% commission off the top. You get the rest or whatever. Will you be yeah. my lawyer? Yeah, let's franchise right away. This is the best <laughs> plan. So uh, and, do it too. <laughs> and listen, I was just this is this is fucking just me experimenting, right? With these little things. Like in business I like to do a bunch of little experiments. Yeah. Uh, and kind of see what works. And this is working right now. I'll probably continue doing it for a bit and stuff like that and see how I can scale it and how I can do it. But that's just an example of something that can bring you in money right away. Right, you're, you're cash dumb, flowing dumb. immediately instead of two thousand grams whatever after the wall yeah (laughs) so are you working right now and like slotting in all these 12 businesses for someone else 37 businesses (laughs) or did you come down there and just fucking raw dog it like houston take me on i'm ready um i that was inappropriate i'm not really that sorry though (laughs) so i was i was director of e-commerce for fringe and then I quit like two weeks ago. And were now... they slowing down? Like now that COVID is kind of given up, or, or were they? Um, so, e-commerce business. Let's let's talk a little bit about pandemic right. stuff, if you don't no. mind. No, no yeah, I'm ready. Like a business podcast. Yes, it is. Cool yeah, I'm ready. Okay. It's better than talking about the thousand gram wall for the tenth time. <laughs> <laughs> they won't eat pandemic business okay so fitness industry in particular this goes for a lot of different businesses as well and the very public example of this would be peloton so peloton what happened to them happened to the whole fitness industry they just did it very publicly as a publicly traded company and it was a total shit show demand went up a lot very quickly during the pandemic as everyone moving to home fitness equipment and stuff like that trying to build their own home gyms so we were getting a lot more orders. So say the one of the businesses I was with went from about two million, which they've been doing for the last twenty years, and went up to six million essentially. Um, but during that time, we sold out all of our inventory, and we were trying to get inventory from our suppliers, but we couldn't because right. a lot of these uh, the chips that were in treadmills are made in Taiwan. Uh, some of them are made in China, and not only were there hurdles as far as COVID and not being able to, to move product because of that, but there was just a shortage of all types of materials because this demand has never been so high. All of a sudden, it's you know three to five times the demand as usual. So fast forward a year later, all of a sudden, the, the supply catches up. Mm-hmm. And the pandemic's kind of slowing down. Gyms are opening back up with masks on. So supply catches up. They start shipping all of these orders that we ordered during the pandemic. Ooh. And then demand drops. Right. Now, all of a sudden, every fitness company has warehouses that are filled with shit that they can't sell. Right. Because product finally came in, and they're forecasting based on these pandemic numbers. Um, And they're thinking that, I guess, for whatever reason, that things are always just going to grow and continue going on, which is ridiculous. But businesses always think that way. Um, they tend to ignore reality and decide that, you know, this year is going to be better than last. And here's mm-hmm. your numbers, Aww. double this number from last year. 
Um, but that's just not, not what happened. So a lot of businesses were inventory heavy and cash poor. So, uh, it's been a real struggle to sell things and a lot of discounting and a lot of moving to new warehouses that you can't afford and taking on extra expenses. So the last two years have been really hard in the coming from being really, really busy to just really, really stressed because you don't know like the health of, of each business. So this isn't necessary. This is as a whole, right? So don't read into this as the businesses I worked for, things like that. So yeah, it's been a really volatile time, but where like the gym assembly part comes in is that everyone still has these things in their home. I just built a website for, for my friend who does this in Pennsylvania. He actually serviced one of the old businesses I worked for. So he has a bunch of apartment buildings that he goes and he services on like a monthly basis, something like that. And he just cannot, he cannot keep up with the demand for people wanting their fitness machines repaired. So what that tells you is there's excess demand and not enough supply. And he's not willing to scale. He's one of those guys who just wants to be like the one guy in the truck thing and keep it low stress. So that's the opportunity. And that's the market that I saw based on being in the industry, based on knowing people, based on knowing people who do this and knowing the types of people who do this. There's there's one big franchise who does it all around the country, um, but that's really it. All the rest are kind of mom and pop and kind of all over the place um, yeah. and don't want to scale or do anything and don't get back for it to you for three days or whatever. They're used to the customer needing them instead of serving their right. customers. So that maybe gives you a little insight on how I found like the opportunity for the gym stuff. It may, it may seem like I just put up a website and put things up there willy nilly to see if it works. Oh no. Yeah. We didn't want to imply it. that. But, uh, but yeah, there's, there's a market need. And I would say whatever industry you're in now, whoever's listening to this, as long as it's not reptiles, um, you see, you try to find the white space and the area that someone's not occupying and that you can uniquely do a better job at. So mom and pop, Joe Schmo are never good at the internet. They right. never have a good website. They never make it convenient for customers to reach out to them. No one wants to talk to you on the phone, man. No. Uh, give them a form and they'll, mm. they'll fill it out or something do like that. Do not fucking call me or you don't have my business. <laughs> uh. So yeah, like you can live chat with me on the website. You can add a form that gets sent to my email and I'll call you back or I'll text you or I'll, you know, whatever you say on the form. So yeah, I mean, there's just, you know what they say about business? It's like, don't, there's, there's, there's a mousetrap uh, reference where it's like build a better mousetrap yeah. or something like that. So, so take something that's already existing on the market and try to make it better. I think people as long as that market sustains it. are, Sorry to interrupt. People are, um, they forget that service industry guys are like millionaires. Like the guy cutting your grass, if he has a little business and he sort of franchised out and he, and he gets yeah. lots of contracts, he's 24. He didn't go to college. He was smart the whole way through. And now he's a millionaire, has a million dollar company, owns lots of assets and can park it all and not have that much carrying costs for whatever because he doesn't have a retail front. He just buzzes around the the fucking golden corral every once in a while and he he's done with his contract for the you know i people forget about that pool cleaning dudes uh maybe in short shorts i don't know 
for me. That's how I would want my oh, pool cleaning okay. dudes. <laughs> and everyone... So right now, there's just a very big shortage of blue-collar workers, things like yeah, that. So absolutely. You can pretty much take any service business like that, make it better, and as long as you can delegate in the beginning, you find a way to delegate and kind of yeah. give up control, and you may have to hire people over and over and over again. It may be a revolving door because yeah. people... Suck? I don't know. They No, they want to... Maybe they want a job where... I think more and more people in the workplace want something easier, something nine to five, something very simple, straightforward, and something they may be able to tell their mom about and then be proud or something like that, which is like, uh, I don't know. What do Not people do these boys. days? Everyone, everyone has a fucking college degree now. Yeah, so. I know. It sucks. I can't believe yeah. it. Uh, me too. And don't and yeah, I went I went that route as well. I'm not saying be a blue collar worker. I'm just saying that's white space. And I'm not saying I'm going to be a blue collar worker. I'm going to no. use what I what I learned in school and then employ. That sounds so shitty. And employ people as a fucking business. So I have a fucking master's degree. I went for my master's in herpetology. Like I am the biggest idiot in the entire world. So it's fine. But. The... Tell them how much you make raising rats with your master. <laughs> I also palpate their buttholes to get that last turd out before I freeze them <laughs> with my master's degree. Woo! So, I mean, I'm on, I'm on board here. I think people want, like, good jobs that sound good on paper, but they want, like, work-life balance, maybe mobile jobs where they can do geographic arbitrage, jobs that are flexible so they can do stuff with their life and see their partners or kids or whatever i all of that is good and i think people demand that so like having your own business is a way to ensure that for you and your employees potentially yeah and i think mm -hmm. there's a way that you can provide that kind of flexibility and i've seen it work in you know plenty of small businesses where we did retain all of our employees and we did give them a lifestyle and a balance that kind of made sense you can tell who wants. So like there's someone who I worked with in which I could tell that he has very big dreams about what he's doing. He has the skill set that I want in the position that I'm hiring for. But I could see that he wants to somehow make six figures a year within like a month. And he's very young. Aww. And yeah, it's like, yeah, you're, you're going to be you're going to be unhappy with what I give you, even though maybe if you stayed with what I give you you could get there eventually. Right. So it's hard. I mean, some people, and I probably did the same thing. Like my ambitions were too high to get started earlier on. And, and that's not even true though. I started off like after college, I was a warehouse worker for an e-commerce business. Uh, so we, we took pool stuff and fireplace stuff and started selling it online and took it from like 10 orders to about 110 orders a day. And that was my first experience of selling things online and being in e-commerce, but I had to start with picking and packing and working in the warehouse yeah. to do it. Um, yeah. So yeah, sometimes you gotta, you gotta start at the bottom, unfortunately. No, I think you're, you're making it. And I love the product you picked because it's small and it's not heavy and it ships. Also. So a... yeah, I was in the fitness industry, so there's a lot of things that are 500 pounds we're shipping weight plates, you yeah. know, these things that are small Supposed and compact to be heavy. sometimes, but heavy as hell. Uh, so, yeah, I was like, I don't want to mess with that stuff anymore. I want to make something that 
Um, first, I wanted to fit into like poly mailers because I have these recycled biodegradable poly mailers that I can use, and then I don't have to. I don't have to ship a priority. They can go first class if there's only one of them. It's under a pound. I guess um, that so, means you're not doing FBA. Yeah, so that's something to talk about too because I've used a mix of that throughout all my positions mm-hmm. um, for the most part. So if you guys don't know what she means by FBA, that means... So in this context, it's a little bit different. You mean um, that means fulfilled by Amazon. Um, but say if you wanted to take that out at a broader scope, it could be a 3PL, which is a third-person logistics company who you can actually get your stuff. Say if I manufacture in China... I can get the Chinese factory to send my stuff to this warehouse in Indianapolis, which is nice. It's in the middle of the country. And then they basically disperse my orders. They'll pick and pack for me. And since they're a much bigger company, they have a lot less errors. Right. So say at my positions, we usually had errors between 1% and 2%. And as you scale, as you get more people and you sell more product, you're able to put more systems in place. You're able to make systems that are more efficient and effective, and then therefore you have less errors, and then therefore you make less customers pissed off. So 1% is not a lot, but you're shipping out 1,000 orders a day. Then what is that, 10 customers? I'm not good at math. I shouldn't do public math. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it doesn't matter. Some amount. It's like 10 or 100, somewhere in between there. <laughs> it's 10. Um, it's okay. Yes. And then, so so essentially you're getting your product at a higher cost, but you also don't need to, you don't need to hire warehouse workers, which are constantly just don't show up or, you know, operations is one of operations and logistics. <laughs> stoned in their car outside the warehouse. <laughs> That's 100% correct. <laughs> And so they're actually, it's, it's some of the hardest, the operations and logistics are some of the hardest um, hurdles to overcome as an e-commerce business. It's easy when you're smaller and you can have like one guy that you trust right. and there's only one point of contact and one thing that can go wrong. And then as you scale, you just, yeah, all these hourly workers that you can't afford to pay too much, but they also suck and then you need to get, t- it's, it's a whole nightmare. So for some people, it makes sense to do the 3PL, but that has to be baked into like your profit margins and things like that is that Uh, part of your trajectory you think or do you feel the burning desire to have a warehouse and all those stoners in the parking lot of your own (laughs) one day (laughs) so i think it makes sense to do three pls i'm not sure so say if we used amazon's amazon as an example usually their fee is 15 percent Mm-hmm. Um, so I need to equate for 15% of my revenue being taken from me. And then I need to also say, how much does it cost to ship for what I'm doing? It would probably cost about $2 and 50 cents each to ship to an Amazon warehouse. Even if so, it's come straight from the, well, you'd have to like package them for them in advance, but even if you like bulk sent it to them, like a couple thousand at a time, it would still cost. Yeah, so piece. what you could, yeah, what you could do, that's a good point. You can have your manufacturer put your FBA labels on your product and send them to to Amazon right. straight yeah. from, from If you China. didn't notice, I did look into it a lot once long ago because I was like, sounds fucking sweet. Like, this is a great business model. If you can pick the right product at the right time before the Chinese yeah, so competitors never... come in and copy and then 
move on. But that's never worked for the businesses I'm in just because we usually had a lot of SKUs on one container. Yeah. Say if we were just bringing in like 10,000 of one product that was small and FBA-able, mm-hmm. then, uh, then yeah, like it collars. makes sense. Or leashes. Like collars. Yeah, yeah. So it's definitely something to think about. But, I mean, just starting out, I'm not willing to sacrifice the profit the margin, margin yeah. and stuff like that into just doing it myself. I think you also have studied before you, you like the process of shipping. You enjoy, you know, packing. So, sure. Yeah, it's okay. Like, I have it down, right? I've done yeah. with a snakes lot. and doing isopods. I've done it a lot. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I have the thermal printer. And I have all the stuff that, that makes sense that I can make it easy to go and and do it. So, yeah, I mean, at the beginning of your business, you have to be scrappy pretty much regardless of, mm-hmm. of what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, even people who do have capital to start out, what I see from good entrepreneurs is that they kind of have this scrappiness from zero to one, kind of the start, regardless of where they're at. Sometimes when you have too much money, you kind of just spend all your money and become bloated from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so yeah, you just start off. That's how I felt this morning. Nothing. <laughs> I start off many mornings bloated. bloated from the beginning. Uh, have you thought about doing like God, trying to locate a manufacturer in the U.S. so you could do like seasonal product launches that are a little faster and FOMO-ier and being like, look, it's the new spring design of my collar and it has a matching girl bandana or something stupid to like drive this sort of, I don't know. So what that pretty much depends on are materials that can be screen printed on or... So pretty much, at least the ones that I see now that have designs on them are all synthetic fibers that can be easily screen printed on. I'm not sure if that's the case. The bamboo fiber doesn't take, like, dye the best even. So you're going to see the collars. Say the blue is very dark, the green is very dark, uh, the salmon's pretty dark. But ultimately, you're still going to see a bit of, like, whiteness in there. That's probably a better way to say that. Yeah, it almost has, like, a wool type coloration to it. So yeah, it's not going to be a uniform color. So I don't think it's like a, it's not a good surface to print on. It's not the easiest to dye. And uh, so yeah, it's something to think about because say, I'll give you an example. We did novelty items um, at my last job and we would make a bumper plate that was colored like a donut. We mm-hmm. would make a, a bar that was dripping in gold essentially and we would do product launches and be very successful with them and like we even had since queer eye was in was in austin uh our plates were were in a queer queer eye episode and since they're so unique it's like everyone can tell that that that's our play which is really cool so those novelty things are something that i'm both familiar with and interested in it's also a bit wasteful and even though we kind of made that a perennial seller um, that's not always the case. We also kind of fell on our faces a couple of times. And so um, they didn't, couldn't move the product. Yeah. If yeah. I made, if I made collars with sprinkles and then collars with tacos and collars with sushi rolls and collars with avocados. They're still collars though, you know, but like, you know, but your dog doesn't care. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, just like, you know, limited run prints basically which is how anybody selling anything that's pretty durable gets you to buy another one 
Yeah, so that's something to think about, right? So what's your reorder rate? So going into this, I actually wanted an item that you can that you use month after month. I like the idea of a subscription service. I mean, that's why you see a lot of these businesses built on like soap or shampoos right. or they're doing like the new version of this, the man version of this, the whatever version of this, because those are things that you buy month All after month. All the time, right? Yeah, yeah. So there are some certain things in, in dogs that are perennial sellers like that, not perennial like yearly, but on a monthly basis that you can subscribe to. I mean, so, would you want to run a, a treat box? Yeah, or whatever yeah. to complement. So I think that those have been successful, have been failures more often than successful. So I think there yes. was a time in which it was very fashionable and everyone had their own subscription box model. Um, and really the only one that, that stuck around, I think, was the beauty one. What's that one? Talking to the wrong girls. <laughs> Fuck, it's the man. one by that that <laughs> really famous, the, the really one. famous influencer Michelle. Is her name Michelle? But basically, she made a really really popular beauty box brand, and then Bark Box. I feel like those oh, yeah. are the two that that really won out, and a lot of them just kind of shit the bed right away. I think the problem is people were putting in stuff that people couldn't use fast enough or cared about enough so quite frankly yeah people want what they want yeah they don't want mysteries cute for a second but in that until you get something that you're not going to use yeah. then you're like fuck this i could have just bought what i want <laughs> <laughs> yeah to me like this model reminds me of the the instagram influencers that have a, a manufacturing business that launches like a, a new line of jewelry every three months or whatever and so they're like this is my fucking astrology collection and like are you a Taurus? and it's like the dumbest shit ever but it every nobody needs extra jewelry but there's just like you know this piece of jewelry costs two dollars from china she can sell it for 39 if she brands it as the the capricorn color gem or whatever and so it's, it's something new every three months to return to the brand and like get re-inspired to like it again i don't know so i don't know how you would make so it like they seasonal do... They do this in, say, fitness apparel. So there's a company called Alphalete. has a bunch of influ influencers behind it. The way that they did it was they ran a fall collection. They got product, but not enough product to basically sustain a business month after month. They bought enough product to where it would sell out. So they buy it. They sell it out. The, the margins in in apparel are good enough to where you can do this it's it's not very good in a lot of other businesses where you're making 50 percent margin or something like that um but they would sell out and then they would just build hype for the next one they're like guys we sold out in 12 hours the next one is going to be huge so even huge. bigger and then and that then works in apparel every freaking time if you create like an urgent need that you have to mm -hmm. get the latest one before someone else does yeah and that's... then in between there all you're doing is building a list so they're going to your website they can't buy anything but you're giving them their email and then their list just keeps on getting bigger right. so each launch reaches more and more people they get more and more product so there's always kind of this low supply, high demand artificially, but it really works and it makes your product kind of premium, even if it isn't. That's like, like the LuLaRue model right there. I was just going to say LuLaRue. Um, I used to weave baby wraps, like hand weave 
So I know a lot about fibers. And What's stuff a baby wrap? You can like put your baby on your back. You like swindle and, like, them? Yeah, I like swaddle them, but you tie them. Swaddle them, that's the word. Yeah, or they can If we could front. swindle them, that'd be pretty good, too. Swindle isn't a good swindle word. Them. Yeah. But, and so they're, like, it's handmade, so it is, like, a high quality and a highly sought after, and it takes time. But there's that, that list. It was that same, like, competitive market, and you'd have people that are, like, waiting for these things to come out. And I don't know about, I don't know why, but women consumers, that just... <laughs> makes their brain fire crazy and they're like i have to have it i'm telling you release like a pink collar and like a matching pink you know hair tie or something bitches will eat it up literally especially if you're like seasonal yeah (laughs) it's a seasonal it's gone any minute (laughs) tomorrow no yeah it's something i'm just trying to i'm just trying to survive the first day so i mean i'm launching (laughs) I'm launching Tuesday, so this isn't even like a thing yet, right? It's still it's really a baby. Exciting. I know it is exciting. Oh. I'm 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 happy for you because we've given a lot to the industry, and then it's I guess it's time for you to try to get it back. You know, you gave a lot for a long time. Yeah, I think it's uh, it will be interesting to see. I think a lot of times, especially with something like reptiles, you get you get cornered into being that guy. Yeah. Or that person. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I am a, a reptile person, but I'm not like the reptile guy forever. And uh, I'm glad to go do something else and see that, like, and hopefully something a little bit more fruitful and less uh, soul crushing. <laughs> soul crushing. <laughs> oh, that's the industry, though. If you haven't had your soul crushed today, you're not doing a good job. And it's funny because I grew up in skating, uh, particular, particularly rollerblading. And growing up in the industry, they have all these sponsors that are pretty much, they set the marketing tone, even for their skaters. And they say, this is what you say about the industry. You say like, oh, the industry is going to grow. The industry is fun. Everyone supports each other. No one say anything bad. And kind of worked in that subset and then you go to reptiles and it's like uh some people try to do that but really it's toxic waters yeah i mean we're all like loners and weirdos so it's like hard to corral a bunch of loner weirdo cats basically to get them to fall into line yeah (laughs) and i was born in the bin everybody's right but no one's saying the same thing yeah exactly mental illness at scale yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah so i yeah we're it's not gonna be good so you're not getting back into reptiles as a as a business is what you're telling us ever no i think it'd be interesting eventually to make a product for sure yeah Um, but it would be and and that's the thing also it's like it would be so mainstream that it wouldn't be cool and like everyone would hate me so like but i I would totally do it though i i would want to make something more mainstream that you can get in your petco and pet smart just gonna say you're just just gonna throw out petco i knew it (laughs) I don't think people realize that that's actually what drives our industry. It's not mom and pop reptile shows. It's Petco, PetSmart, now probably Chewy, these other businesses that that reach millions and millions of people that really drive the industry and is what made it viable for a lot of people like Gary from ZooMed or, you know, people who started Zillow or even like, I know also it's, it's like, bad to like josh's frogs now too but um it is 
It is? It is. That's it's, soul crushing. Why? Oh, I like, missed they're it. commercial frog people. Oh. They have like, the, like they, one of the better commercial so operations hard. of anybody. I know. Like, it, for I, quality. I feel like it's the only one that has a heart. Yeah. Um, but oh well. No, people are assholes. So when I saw like that there's some people that I feel like are uh who could have all the good intention in the world and they can just see the bad in them is is kind of interesting. But yeah, so Petco, PetSmart, kind of the more mainstream end of the industry would, would be what I was interested in. And quite frankly, that's where you can make the most impact and can reach like younger people who are keeping or if you create a good product, which is there's not many great products that exist. I was going to say, you don't even need to those. create a good product. Should just be they're gonna okay. They're going to buy a reptile from my show and then they're going to go to Petco or PetSmart and they're going to get what they're told to get. And so even if it's not the right thing or even if it's a shit product like the heat rock or <laughs> the heat mat with no thermostat like you, it doesn't matter what it is like because it's accessible and because it like you said it doesn't look like the mom and pop that's like that's the name you trust it's a big name it's in all the stores this is what i'm gonna get because i trust because it's in petco right yeah so if someone has the capital to produce a product that is actually good for the animal that they can actually market correctly that they can actually package correctly um, then you can make a giant impact more so than bullshitting on YouTube and saying that Petco and PetSmart are, you know, a dark force that tortures animals. You can create a product that's actually good for animals and sell them in those stores and actually change the course of keeping for for the younger generation of people. I agree. Can, can you launch for me like a out of the box <laughs> Applegate? style enclosure specifically for ball python people like it's pvc or maybe like a molded uh plastic like vision, like vision. but they just yeah. sell it in petco and it has a drawer so the whole bottom is a a tub and there's like a, a chamber and it comes up and they can have a viv up top and then no ball pythons will have to be crunchy ever again it'll be amazing <laughs> this is my yeah i would love too. to have i mean the fact that there's not an all-inclusive system where there's a thermostat built in. There's a heater right. built in. There's all these things that are you just set by a dial, set it and forget it type of thing. And, you know, like you said, easy to clean. Um, not all those corners where, you know, the urate like, gets stuck for the rest for of eternity. Forever, yeah. Four square feet of screen for the whole thing to just, like, evaporate away into like the there's a cheese grater also <laughs> for their face it's really it's awesome. built in for your convenience <laughs> if your snake doesn't look like voldemort it's not a real snake or your yeah, cat so... falls through it <laughs> oh yeah yeah so like there's there's a lot of room for improvement but uh yeah i don't see anyone really taking the ball and and running with it even though all these people are throwing out so much money into uh into these mutations and shit like that too i guess mm -hmm. maybe it's to look cool in front of your friends though you can't really brag about your cool product people really don't give a shit uh, um, they want to know about the morph that you made and the world's first and things like that if you you could literally change the world for reptiles if you can launch a product and get it it, it would make so many lives better reptile lives so that so yeah absolutely I guess it is less sexy and less community oriented though. Um, I could see why like as a breeder, you're talking to other breeders, you're, you know, in a kind of a, a game with each other and like a friendly, hopefully competition yeah. of who can do something cool. Sometimes it's not um, that friendly. 
Yeah, yeah. I think there's definitely sections of good friends who have a lot of fun with it, but there's yeah. also there's also other things. Um, I think the industry's the mo- gotten a lot better. It feels better, nicer, maybe. But maybe there's better at hiding the fact that they all hate each other behind the scenes. I don't know. Yeah, I think honestly, the ball python people do kind of a good job at keeping the positivity and like. Well, I mean. Well, they have to sell their product, so. So there's a. So there's a certain amount of like, you need to go to your downline with your MLM and sell, you know, do your power hour and be like, Paul Python Industries doing great. And then keep sending that text. And they absolutely do do that for sure. But I, it's just not as toxic as like, you know, five, six years ago to me. I don't know. There just isn't quite as much drama, but there's still a lot. Well, I think the, the overall conversation now is probably driven by like four people. Yes, I'm sure Uh, the whole industry is kind of driven by four people. And luckily, I mean, at least two of those people are really good hands as far as being responsible, being like, yeah, on the up and up, in my opinion, assholes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it it is nice that those people at the top are actually responsible and have a good head on their shoulders and spew their bullshit correctly. (laughs) All right. Do you want to talk about investment you could ever make? Sorry. (laughs) Do you want to talk about herping in Texas? Have you been able to do anything yet? Now it's warmer. Yeah. So it's been so it literally just got warmer like two days ago. Um, So there really hasn't been anything yet. Although I'll get out there eventually. I haven't seen anything since I've moved here, but I haven't tried that much. I haven't even had time to really go hiking as much. a lot of a lot of my activity lately has been like rock climbing and has been uh, skating and stuff like that. And I'm old and it hurts. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so like I'm trying to do activity as much as possible, but it's kind of hard. Um, I will probably go herping eventually if someone hits me up to go to West Texas. I'll probably do that. Um, I need to make it a point to to take more time going forward and and do stuff like that. So yeah, nothing yet. Although, uh, yeah, I always had fun herping in Texas because, I mean, copperheads are some of my favorite uh, snakes, and they're pretty much everywhere here. The Slowinski Eye in College Station, Brian area, Texas, really are like the best I've ever seen. Yeah, I, I didn't know that they there. really commonly went that west. I was on iNaturalist, and I'm like, it's basically like, you know, it starts to get red again. I don't know why. So it'll look like a Miami face corn snake some of the time in certain spots around there. And I was like, this is my idea of a good time. So uh, that's one, uh, one, besides like West Texas, which is its own fucking like journey to Mordor and back, you know, you have something pretty nearby that would be fun to check out. Yeah, that's that's low hanging fruit. That's easy. Yeah, yeah, I'd be so down. Herping do sucks it. up here. So. <laughs> yeah, you can find garters, right? Fuck you yeah, can find can. garters in everyone's backyard. And it's funny because they're like four or five hundred dollar garters, but you're just like kicking them out of the way. Get <laughs> <laughs> or more, yeah, right? Because like you can't collect there. them anymore. Nope. So like the the ten that were in the hobby twenty years ago are all that we have. So like of the Puget Sounds and Northwestern garters and the there's not that many of them, but now they're really expensive again. So you're like, get 
I don't care. You're more expensive than my shitty ball python. <laughs> you need to go in the go back in the field. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, I, until you produce one and they produce sixty babies, and then all of a sudden they're a hundred dollars. Oh my god! I I know people are like all into like promoting rare species breeding to keep them in the hobby, and I'm like, I agree. But if we people forget that even like Owen McIntyre can't sell Bredelai can't sell them all it's like a big red snake you should be able to obviously sell them but like two or three extra clutches a year tanks the entire market for that year so two or three right now so many people are into garters i feel like we're gonna have literally a million garters again and they're live babies yeah and they're yeah lots of them yeah yeah we're gonna have a million garters on the market in two years it'll be fun jana you did great picking garters (laughs) Thanks. Fuck you too. <laughs> I think I need some. There are no garters in the Pacific Northwest at any of the shows. Really? Oh, yeah, locally. Yeah, that's probably because it's the only snake outside, and they have to kick them out of the way because there's so many that they're like heavy on the but ground. There are people who ask about them, but there are no vendors currently who breed them. Yeah, I mean, shows in the West Coast, Joe. Are, I don't know if you know this. They are not like any yes, normal thanks. show. It's gonna be fine. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's absolutely no inventory and no like long term. There are some long term breeders, but they're almost all exclusively ball python breeders. Like JMG reptiles flew out here to vend hognose because there's no hognose breeders. It's a weird place. I've it's very strange. Like in the it's east, its own little bubble of weird. It's like ten years behind the rest of the industry. Or forty. Like the east coast has like 40, old yeah. farts coming down from the White Plains show, <laughs> who've been like scraping mites off of their berms for the last 30 years before they put it on display and you know you know you know what i'm talking about Joe. You know i know exactly they smell kind about. of funny because their house is weird you know they smoke in those in their <laughs> trailer with their berms you know it's true i've seen them Oh, I don't. I don't know if you're picking out a specific person, but I know uh, at least two of those. I pieces. know, like I've seen four of the same person, and they usually have their tables with still glass tanks as their like presentation method. Some of the time, with some delis sort of smashed around it on like a plastic, you know, uh, picnic <laughs> tablecloth that's like that plasticky material in case something dies on it, and they can just wipe it off with their absorbent. sleeve. Yeah. yeah. I've been to Harvard to grow. I know what it's like. I went there a lot. So that would be, yeah, that would be the worst $120 I ever made. (laughs) Uh, Did you only vend it once? I would bring it in a, I would, no, because I would be like, you know what? Maybe I'll give it another go. All right. You're a team player. $125. (laughs) Nice. I can go home on this. And then, uh, yeah, I would make the same mistake a few times. And then there ended up being, um, they just the the solution was let's just do more of them and not yeah. let's not only have more of them let's have two people that hate each other's guts have two shows in the same venue alternating weekends in which one tries to steal you for their show and the other tries to steal you for the other and uh and then they put you in all their bullshit drama and uh yeah so that was the Haverty Grace show uh. and it really gave me a bad taste in my mouth for a particular business in the northeast that's actually pretty big it's like you are the the pettiest motherfucker because like this one guy has been doing this show for like 20 years and he's like an old hippie dude who like you know this is his show and then 
uh, he didn't. One guy doesn't like what he says, and then he has enough money to just try to squash him. And it's like, and then try to scalp all of the people like offering us free tables and stuff like that. It's wow. Like, uh, yeah, is, is that is that too specific? No, I um, love it. And it's it was just really scummy. And it's a uh, person from Long Island, and you don't need to like you don't need any more red. F- strikes against you <laughs> than being from Long Island. And uh, uh, so, yeah. Fucking it's... Joey. Uh, <laughs> fucking uh, where's my Mario meatballs? bag of donuts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I don't yeah, know. Show like, drama is its own, that shit? own drama. I just don't feel like we have that much show drama, but maybe I just keep my head See, down. That's what I'm saying. That's the positive thing about it being a little bit more green, maybe, is that it's you don't have... All this, like, like, built-in infrastructure of bullshit. Yeah, and because the shows are no more than every couple of months for two major metropolitan areas, you have, you know, 10 million people who, if they magically decide to be interested in Reptiles, could just do that one show that one weekend. So there's absolutely no competition for the show, which... I don't know, I feel like it's it's a good situation, it also as long doesn't as people smell. are coming through the door, then that means it's just opportunity for you guys to Absolutely. produce more and sell more. Yeah. Yes. All right, Jan, do you want to do... Holy fuck, what number are we on? Eight? We have not followed the No, numbers. we did it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> We're bad. Wait, is this the list of questions? Did you plan on getting to yeah. all the questions? No, yeah. I, no, I don't know. There's it's like a guideline. Of them. Guideline. We've actually done a bunch of them on accident. I think yes. I yeah. I think I riffed on one for about a half hour. That's earlier, fine. So. I love it. How is your relationship with your rhino iguana going? So I see her right now. I, I keep the Wait, sliding glass go, door. You gotta go get her. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I don't think it's. If that I bad. want all my fingers, I don't think that's a good idea. Oh, okay. Never um, mind. <laughs> so she's just chilling. Uh, I keep the the sliding glass door open on her enclosure when I'm in here. Uh, so right now she's actually sitting on top of her enclosure. And it, it's funny that obviously I, I have a basking bulb in there, but she always chooses to like be in the natural sunlight, even though it's coming through the window. Um, so right now she's just kind of basking on top of her enclosure and the, the sun's hitting her. But I try to coerce her with food like today. Um, I got her like onto my knee and she'll go on my knee and kind of hang out for a second and then kind of scurry off. So ultimately, she's still standoffish. Uh, she's probably coming up on a year old, and it's just she's still really little. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know. I mean, I see these people handling their babies or handling ones that are her age, and I'm a little nervous that it may be like uh, missing the ball a little bit. There, well, like you might be missing a, a developmental. No, I think that. It's just maybe a personality thing. Uh, there's probably yeah. some that are... Because sure. I, tried, I tried very hard to start a relationship when she was v- from very young. Um, and I think that some of these people do have like special individuals, just like there may be one scrub python that's perfectly docile that that right. one person one. has. Yeah, yeah. I think that it may be like one of the most oversold reptiles as far as how easy friendly good of a pet it is to be Fuck. to be quite honest i know you were so excited but, for so long and then I'm, and i see you working with her and i'm just like i wonder if you're disappointed a little bit in her personality in particular yeah i mean i am obviously i only have a kind of sample of one so i yeah i am curious if she'll ever get there 
And I'm a little nervous that she won't, but she's getting... Well, you'll need to get, like, two more and have, like, an outdoor <laughs> enclosure so you can find the one that's nice. Yeah, so that sounds fun in the summer, but the... I thought that there would really only be, like, three months where I would have to have her inside. Um, but it does seem probably more like five if I want to be... And stay in I don't want to have supplemental heat and stuff like that. So, so yeah, I mean, right now it's about probably 85 degrees out or 86 degrees. Um, so holy crap, it would be pretty nice to have her out. I could, I could probably do it. Probably direct sunlight is probably getting a hundred degrees in one spot pretty easily, but I'm not ready to like have her out when it's 50 degrees and be all nervous and have to like look at the weather every day. And then when it's going to be cold for one day, either lock her into somewhere that has warmth or try to bring her inside when she's already not docile and kind of ruin that trust. So right now she just inside, she pretty much owns this office. So this is my office that I work from, um, but she pretty much owns it and does her own thing. And I can coerce her to where I want her to go most of the time, but I also don't really push it. So I've had to move her for different things. But unfortunately, I need to towel her and grab her. Oh, um, okay. In which is a whole like ah, open <laughs> type of situation. That is definitely not how they are portrayed on Instagram. <laughs> no, so this thing will take a piece of your finger for sure. Um, but then again, it's not something that's gonna like come out and attack you or anything. I think right. that would be crazy. Leave Just me the skittish and scared. I'll, I'll leave you the F alone. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's a personality thing, but it's definitely not all all individuals are are docile. And I think that even talking to people who have them as well, it takes a long time to build trust with them. Some people have done the like force their will upon them, and it kind of has worked. But I'm not gonna do that, and I don't really have thick enough gloves, or I don't want to take the risk of and then just making her more unhappy or me being bitten. None of it's good. So yeah, I'm just chilling with her and uh, seeing what happens. So I think that's why say if you look when Brian's got gotten his rhino iguanas he has gotten them I want to say probably a year and a half, two years into it. They're already docile. He paid probably $1,500 instead of the $500 but I think they warrant that extra money because I want to say that there's only so many individuals that, that are, are going nice. to be super docile. Yeah. Um right. I think they very much want everything on their own terms and stuff like that. More so like a really pissed off cat, um, more so <laughs> than a puppy dog. Right. So, right. so, so yeah. I who don't else know. do you still have from the original collection? Uh, so I do sharing? have the brain. He's still there. Nice. Yeah. And I have a, a Texas rat snake and I have, I have Yoda, which is a lychee and I have bacon. Who's a, crested gecko and i have a few other crested geckos as well so just one corn snake yeah it wow that crazy? It's, it's crazy that way crazy how does that feel i i get it if it hurts your feelings you don't have to talk about it but like does it make you feel yeah. like you've let something go that was like a so important to you or you obviously chose to let it go or was it does it feel freeing to just have another tony but his name is brain now so are you are you referring to Tony like my original? Yeah, it's a new Tony, snake? but now he's the brain. <laughs> She's a hardcore fan nerd. Holy so shit! <laughs> so so Tony was like sixteen years old, and and he actually passed away like a year ago or so. 
Right. I'm sorry that your snake died. No, no. I, I just meant like he's no, your, no. He's I your just, new pet. I was pet. so surprised that you, Listen, that you knew that. Original OG all day. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so yeah. So now I have the brain who is kind of my mascot all throughout. Port yeah, City yeah. I kind of used him in, in different things. Um, so he's a non-negotiable. But um, yeah, it felt like by the time I was ready to go, I was ready to go as yeah. far as I don't think if you cared about your animals like I cared about my animals, in order to do that, you need to be ready to let go in a way that, yeah, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have sold them if I wasn't ready to do so. Yeah, yeah. I just... Or giving them away, whatever. And the, the chondro has gone also, it seems like. Yeah, yeah. So I shipped it out to a friend. All right. Yeah, I just wanted to know, like, the current menagerie. Uh, um. Yeah, so it's pretty bare bones, pretty simple. And it was getting really hard to move with all the animals um, yeah. going from Philly to Texas again. And, um, yeah, it just it made sense to do this. Even in Philly, I downsized a lot because I ended up going to, like, a one-bedroom apartment in the city. I just wanted to, like, hey, I'm only young once. I want to actually live in the city and have... Uh, Find an apartment in the city and do stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I had a period where, you know, snakes were like my whole 20s. I kind of wanted to have a period of a little bit less stress and less responsibility and be able to do more things for myself. So Absolutely. that kind of allowed me to do that. Your Sluencii girl laid eggs yesterday. I don't know if you saw. Really? No, no, I didn't. Yeah. That's awesome. So you're the grandfather. So if you need ah. another pair... Let me know. It's got to be the reptile push. <laughs> I'm sure they're, it will happen eventually. Yeah, they're I'm so sure. like beefy and they're just a different snake for sure than a corn snake. So I and I have they're both probably head silver leaf because that's all that's floating around is pet heads and pos heads. But let me know. I'll hook you yeah. up. Hell yeah. Yeah. Now I'll, I'll get there eventually. Don't worry. All right. This is a self-serving question. We're only on number 10. Come on. No, yeah, we're almost done. When you switched from chatty to interviews only almost, was that just because you wanted to become more professional or just elevate your podcast game? You didn't want to do chatty or were you like, you deleted that three hour drunk podcast episode and it was my favorite and it's gone. OG, hardcore fan. And I looked for it and I was like, this fucker deleted it. (laughs) He was embarrassed. I'm like, don't be embarrassed. Like, that was the, the was best part. I don't even remember now. I remember listening to it in 2019, and it was from, like, the year before, and it was hilarious. And it's quality content, and it's gone now. The world cannot experience it, because you've, yeah. you've let it go. Yeah, I think we should bring it back. Some Special things, edition. Some things <laughs> will get you in trouble. <laughs> and, uh... Uh, sure, but, like, does it the authenticity might outweigh whatever outweigh the negative the fact perception. That I can never have relationships with particular people in the industry. <laughs> but does it matter? Because you only need your like one thousand best customers. You don't need you know everyone to be your best friend. That sounds easier said <laughs> than done. So no, I, I think that I think okay. So I think if I was able to completely get out of the industry while still having a business, that would be a thing. But I think that the relationship 
the relationships in this business in particular are very important because so many people have a mouthpiece to talk bad about you. Right. And then and a lot more of a following and can totally kind of ruin you in a way. So, I mean, if I did it again, um, there's a guy in Wisconsin. I think it's Reptile Rapture. Familiar. I don't know. Um, he, he has a lot of cool animals. He has an amazing shop. He has a bunch of employees. But I never saw him in the industry, like almost at all. And it's like he was able to build a business, stay out of the kind of not the community, but like, uh, you know, kind of mind his own business and do his thing. And I think that's that's, what I do. And that's really nice. Uh, So maybe if I started over again, I would do something like that. But it's kind of hard to do. You get kind of sucked in. Right. So that would be your like, if you were had all the information now, you probably wouldn't have done the podcast at all. Just gone to a. Like maybe I would have done the business. podcast, but maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's I hard to be no like. no idea. You can't like make yourself understand the things that you know now. But, you know, if you could. I'm saying it's like, should we stop having a podcast? I need you to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I've oh, already like eaten shit and uh, f- fucking put my foot in my mouth at least three to four times on this podcast. So like, where's the muzzle? We need to find it quick. Well, I mean, like you said, I guess it doesn't matter. You can say whatever you want. Yeah. I mean, especially if like no people, one's listening. I only cared for like one episode for like a minute. Yeah, and even then, I was so surprised about the amount of people who've been like, such and such doesn't like this opinion or whatever. And then they're like, I don't even know who that is. So it doesn't matter to me that that person has an opinion. Like, I like you, so I don't care what they think about you because. Their relationship is with us, not like the one opinion that's over here. I don't know. Well, I think what I didn't love eventually is that if I had Tyler Nolan on my podcast, then all of a sudden I'm the free handler. I'm a piece of shit. I'm guilty by association when my interest in doing the podcast was actually to talk to him and get his story and get his side because he's fucking interesting. Even if he doesn't do what people want him to do, it's interesting that he does what people don't want him to do. So if I had him on my podcast, I'm giving him a platform, even though his YouTube's so much fucking bigger than anything that I ever had. I would be guilty by association, and he actually wouldn't get any of the flack because he's just used to that, and they wouldn't reach out to him. All of a sudden, I'm the bad guy. But, like, I just wanted to have a good podcast. Right. So I would have, in order to build my podcast, the the next step would have been, like, having Chandler on, having Tyler on, having all these people on that I find interesting, in which I think people forgot that, like, I did that in the beginning with, say, Paul Rosalie, who did... The um, Eaten by the, the Anaconda Guy. The yeah. by Anaconda Guy. That one and... was good, though, because, like, otherwise no one in the hobby would have ever given him even two shits of credit, ever, because it looks so bad on first blush, but, you know. And you know actually... who did the safety on that? Uh, who? It was, uh, oh, damn, what's his name? Kevin McCurley. Fuck! <laughs> he did production of that. Are you yeah. serious? 
And yeah, had... and I think they borrowed one of, uh, oh, I forgot God. whose animal it was. I don't know if it was Bob Clark's anaconda or if it was Kevin's anaconda. They borrowed someone and they like filmed it in Oklahoma or some bullshit. Like they filmed it in St. It. Louis. That's yeah, funny. Yeah, so even, even if some people say that, that they're in the right and don't believe in something, I mean, they have their hand in certain things. Right. And uh, well, he's everyone's in... liable to be a hypocrite for attention and or money. So, yeah, yeah I don't know. It's, uh, I would love to have all those people on and talk to them and get their points of views, but then I get kind of, you get more of this flack for their right. doings than even they do, which is silly. It's like, would you ever think like Barbara Walters has on some murderer? Would you be like, Barbara Walters is a murderer? Yeah, what a like, bitch. he's a piece Jeez. of shit. <laughs> yeah. like, I guess no, that's a good reason to have like... killing all these people. It's a good reason to have like very distinct like this is the interview YouTube channel for Port City or from the ground up and then like this is a Port City YouTube channel Port City Pet or whatever like to divide them so hard that you're like not speaking with authority you're an interviewer and then you're speaking of authority over whatever your topics on your videos were which the algorithm would like that better anyway because it would know mm-hmm. to push them differently. I don't know. Yeah, it's very complicated. I have no idea what we're doing at any point. So we totally have experienced that though when we had a controversial person on and it was crazy. Like no one gave a fuck about our podcast and then we had somebody on that a bunch of people don't like and they were like fuck you all and it just was like crazy. Like you've never listened to any of our other podcasts, but this one really pissed you off because we just let him speak his truth like and we didn't filter it and everybody was like this is this is not okay maybe if you angle more as a media interview person solely alone maybe it works i don't know to me like i liked the two dudes or dudettes talking format because it sort of allows us so maybe I should never have mixed in interviews. I'll have to just delete this whole thing. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but, oh, shit. <laughs> but, like, I, I just wanted reptile conversations that were between two friends. And it never had to be, like, a big ordeal. I don't want to cold email people. I don't – I just want to talk about stuff that I think is right. interesting. And so that is obviously – I don't – nobody's going to sponsor this bullshit, this fucking dribble. I don't know. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't – know how to manage any of that very well you're probably wrong you could probably figure it out but yeah (laughs) and i mean but it's also i mean yeah i mean the first two years of me doing my podcast was figuring it out i think that that's the whole thing is that like it's perspective and experience and maybe if i started over again i would do certain things differently with what i know now and like but the only way you learn those things is by doing so you kind of have to like do it in the beginning and i and did fuck it up. yeah i love those first two years i know you act like they were terrible i i like that they were authentic and raw and sort of a better look into your personality and your ambitions or whatever and so that was good to transition into whatever after that i don't think they should be deleted that hadn't been crushed yet. <laughs> yeah you were doing good <laughs> yeah i think it's hard to it's hard to continue putting yourself out there in those ways because it does make you vulnerable right right and as an introverted person those vulnerabilities having to deal with people picking at them is is very difficult for me 
maybe I'm probably much more secure of who I am now. I'm also not. I'm also not that unhinged as I probably was when I was that old. So, so part of it is that I kind of am more of a tamed down individual now. Um, but also, I wanted to be more and more professional because I was building a business. There's just a lot of factors in there. Why? I guess it does kind of take the. I'm trying to think of a better word than the balls out of it, but uh, right. it did. And also times are changing and people, things are more politically correct. And right. I couldn't say, you know. I you know, know, I'm we, not politically said, correct. Like, the C word on the podcast. It's not, it's not good. No one wants to hear that. I have one and I think it's okay. So does that give you a pass? I don't know. I don't think so. We okay. say whatever we want, and no I know, but we're cares. gonna fucking pay for no it listening. one day. So <laughs> I try to tell people that I was using it in the UK connotation, but that's not a good excuse, and, I guess. Uh, I would have. I guess if I were you, I would have just like edited it out with like a funny uh, sound effect of like a snake farting or whatever, and just like made it a like it's still obvious what it is, but it's like part of the joke now that it had to be censored. That would take work, Jessica. Yeah, I know. That sorry, would be terrible. I fucking edited out stuff with the SpongeBob uh, dolphin sound effect because I'm a barbarian, I guess, and nobody gets it. I keep being like, "That's a monkey." I'm like, "You never watched it's, SpongeBob?" Yeah, it's, what the hell? no, I, it's it a does dolphin. Not translate to me. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like my biggest concern is, like you said, that people that have a bigger following or that have a bigger voice in the industry, if they don't like what you're saying, they do because of like keyboard warriors and the following. They can come and just squash you and squash your reputation over nothing. Like just because they decide, oh, I don't like your face today. The industry can come and just. And so that was my hesitation is that we do talk about controversial stuff. We talk about disease testing and we talk about, you know, the behind the scenes it's not all roses and everyone making bank and so my concern was if you're saying these controversial things that you're gonna piss off somebody bigger maybe eventually you know maybe it's in three years or maybe a hundred years of talking on the podcast and then people start finally listening and you can piss those people off and they can end end your career in the industry like that and that's kind of scary yeah, the industry is smaller than you think it is. Um, at first, it seems so big, and then it it gets so small, and then all of a sudden, things get to everyone, right. and you just got to be very mindful. And and I will say, I don't want to talk bad about anyone either. I mean, that's just general not good practice. So, um, but it's hard to hold back opinions that may affect someone's business, and right. you you don't you don't want to take food out of someone's mouth that's liable for them to go and do something to you. Um, so maybe me saying my opinion that eventually most pythons are going to have nidovirus and probably all the big collections in the world have nidovirus. Actually, all the big collections in the world have nidovirus. It's more <laughs> of controlling 20%. the spread yeah. than yeah. stopping the spread. Then something like that would, may get someone who's very big who sells ball pylons for $20,000 mad at me. And I don't want to give a shit about that anymore. Right. Yeah, it's I mean, they do all have fucking night of air, so it's fine. Not right. that I hold that opinion. That was just an example. Oh, I of do. Of course, I would never think anything like that. <laughs> yeah. Oh. No, Joe didn't think that. That was me. It's fine. All right. My last question. The last opinion. question. <laughs> if you hadn't had Nido go through your ball pythons, how long do you oh, think you would have, you'd have drank, drank, drank the Kool-Aid or the disease that could have been <laughs> Nido? 
Like, because the, the margins are better allegedly than on a the RI. <laughs> the margins are better, right? So you can drag it out longer with a ball python. So like, and you like blackhead, but it's beautiful. Just admit it. Like, do you th so. do you think you would have still come to the same this position now, or do you think that sort of hurt I you have... in a way that was critical? I have a very hard time doing what everyone else is doing. So sure. I think I would have gone gone the other way anyway. So when I started with colubrids, no one really cared at all. Right. Um, now they have a little bit of traction and, and stuff like that. But when I started, they were $20 in a deli cup and no one cared. So I really loved the idea of that being kind of not shown on YouTube, not shown in these other places. And I could kind of shine a light on them and try my best to carve out a niche of my own. So not only did I like those animals better, not only did I find them easier to keep, not only did they not have Nido, they and were alive. It just, uh, they were easier to keep. All these things in which I thought people touted ball pythons for, that wasn't reality. Right. I think when I first started, it was ball pythons are easy to keep. They're easy uh, this way, that way, which, I mean, they can be. But when it comes to feeding, I mean, I always had the one who needed live. I always had the right. one who needed uh, certain whatever, whatever to eat. And uh, I can imagine having thousands of them. I mean, how, I mean, I guess you just always feed live. I mean, I think that's what most people do. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was just... Colubrids made more sense for me. It's where I started as a keeper. They were underserved, so I could kind of have my own. Mar no one young was doing it. Everyone was 50 plus mm -hmm. at the time. I so, really think you changed uh, the corn snake market almost single-handedly. And I know you don't believe me or something. Come on. Be I honest. Think that, I think that in reptiles, things do ebb and flow. Right. So I naturally, you... things will be more popular than, uh, than others. You I led the I charge may... on the corn snake front in particular in terms What's... of colubrids coming back as a popular item again. What's upsetting is that I pretty much got out of it and every single python person that I ever talked to and used to be friends with now all have corn snakes. I know. What and the heck? Like, What's up, man? <laughs> when I was selling corn snakes, no one cared. And uh, all of a sudden now all these people care about corn snakes and all these things. But... Uh, but yeah, I think the market gets pulled by things that, by bigger forces sometimes. Um, right. So it can be pulled by reptile industries having a bad season with something. And, you know, they sell thousands and thousands of these things. So right. they have a big, they have a big influence on the market. All these wholesalers, things like that. All of a sudden, if, a wholesaler is willing to spend $25 on a wholesale corn snake instead of five, then there's going to be hundreds more people breeding right. thousands and thousands and thousands of corn snakes. So there's, there's market demands outside of our, uh, basically view, but, and there's people like Barcheck who probably had, uh, he kind of always had colubrids on his channel. So yeah, I'm surprised he... that. It was probably the perfect storm of like straight up ball python fatigue and people are just looking for anything yeah. else to transition to and the prices were absolutely 
below the cost of production. So they're like, this is a cheap and easy pet to get. And then there's not enough supply. And so it's an easy price bump. But I think you rode the curve right up. And I think there's a a legacy of posts from the ground up pricing and, and interest that I, I think is real. I don't know. Maybe I'm making shit up. I don't know. You did it, Joe. Good job. Thank you for I saving did. corn Hopefully snakes. Hopefully I did something. You um, did Because, yeah, you know, it's nice to to at least make your mark on something a little bit. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I am proud of what I have out there podcast-wise, content-wise, all the animals and stuff like that. And it was fun, and it was a learning experience. And it was, uh, you know, when I first started, I think I was 22. And, yeah, it was a good ground to mess up and play around and a small enough pool to where I didn't get like in too much trouble for my mess ups and things Libel, like that. Libel, slander is... cases. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it pretty much I, I grew up. Uh, that was my formative adulthood, I suppose, you know, yeah. of, uh, in the reptile community and stuff like that and figuring out what I like and I don't like. And uh, yeah, it, it at least if if anyone who's listening is younger, say 18 or something like that, and they're like, I don't know what to do with my life. The reason why I'm able to do what I do now is because I started a reptile business. I made a website with reptiles. I made social media that got traction. And then I was able to quantify my success. So on my resume, it still says that Port City Pet YouTube channel got 4 million views because that's what we're able to do. And guess what? Businesses are willing to hire you if you have a skill set that works like that. Any any business wants to have 4 million views right. on YouTube, Absolutely. wants to have that many eyes yeah. on their product. So even if the reptile thing doesn't work out, even if whatever you start when you're young doesn't work out, you're going to have experience that's marketable in the job market, even outside of college degree. Because everyone, like I said before, everyone has a college degree, things like that. So I think the the moral of the story is to just do things and stop yeah. thinking so much about it. And it all just kind of works out in the end because, I don't know, I feel like a degenerate who is able to have a real good corporate job for at least a, a few years. Um, and it's solely because of reptiles. So I was able to build a legitimate career off of reptiles. And... Not many people who breed reptiles for a living can even say that. So Not I many think, people yeah. get the mark. Yeah. yeah. So so I think uh, I leveraged it correctly and made it work for me. And I think anyone can essentially do that. And if it's not if it's not reptiles, I think uh, honestly the hardest thing is is letting go of Aww. being that reptile person for that long and, and stuff like that. Right. It's um, like an identity thing. Closing oh yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, that's why, like, I just left for a year to figure I out, know. like, you were, who We would talk about you in the secret channels. We're like, what's Joe doing? Where'd Joe go? <laughs> and I think we were, we thought you were just processing. But we've yeah. had a lovely two hours. Thank you for coming on. Can you tell us the launch date again and website, social media, please? Yeah, so launch is going to be Tuesday. Uh, I'm probably going to send out an email around 8 a.m. So, if say, if you go to vertpet.com. You can sign up for the email, and then you can get that in your inbox when it gets launched. So Tuesday, I'll be shipping out. I'm, I don't know how quick you get these podcasts up. but I'll pr- try to get it up 
tonight, Sunday, the twenty seventh. Really so okay. it'll no be up. No pressure. Bef- you don't have to do it for me. Don't worry. No, I just doesn't, like to because um, anyway, I, yeah, that's how she always. It is. would bother me to have to be like, I have unedited material waiting for me. I but I'll get it up tonight. Yeah. yeah, I was. It's not getting me any, doing me any good sitting on a hard drive waiting for me to do something with it. For no. me, I need the attention span to keep <laughs> on going. Like, yeah. I just need to get it done right after while I'm excited. And then, or else it would right. be in the abyss. All right. Thank yep. you for coming on. Nice to meet you. No, I, oh, um, if you want us to put your product as our thumbnail, you also send that to Jessica. Oh, yeah. Next week, I don't know what the fuck we're talking about, but it's definitely not going to live up to this one. So, Bye. Bye. Say bye, Bye. (laughs) Jim.